0: On today's episode of Sports and the World, we talk about the importance of education, unpopular opinions, Nickelback, my MLB report and my big picture. That's today on Sports and the World. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're listening to us, Oh, hi, if you listening to us, whether it's through Anchor or Apple or Google Podcasts. Thank you for making sports and the world a part of your day. I'm Ladarius Brown, and I hope all of you have had a great week so far. If not, I hope your weekend and next week is even better. And with that, let's get into it. One of the things that I am very passionate about is education. I've always had a great passion for learning, curiosity. And and a quote that really exemplifies how I've always felt education comes from Dr. Moses King Jr. He says that the function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligent plus character, that is the goal of true education. And I've come to find that to be very true. Because you have to be able to think intensively, think strong, and think critical. Because life's gonna throw at you some critical situations. And we're gonna talk about knowledge in my big picture, and we're gonna talk about that more. But we're we'll talking about education from the perspective of the state of education in this country. And just some of the things I found, especially with high school, that kind of kind of not say stuck to me, but you know, kind of kind of piqued curiosity. The thing is, in 2017, 5.8% of all races and ethnicities dropped out of high school. That went down from 2016. So it went down slightly. However, also in 2017, 11.5% of Hispanic males dropped out of high school, and that was up from 10.1%. In 2016 and that comes from the National Center for Education Statistics in the US commerce as of November of last year and I want to start there I want to stress to to the young people who may be listening to people my age and even people who are older education is very important education you have to think of it not just as a brick and mortar, you know, place. You know, don't think of it as brick and mortar. Think of it as the world. Think of it as you can get educated in many different things in many different fields and acquire, once again, knowledge. There's that word again, and we'll get into that as I said earlier, later on. And I think the misconception is, is that, you know, education is just in like that brick and mortar from books and but listen you can learn anywhere you can be educated anywhere you can be quote unquote schooled in a lot of things but one of the trends that i do like is is that but it's a positive trend that those who do drop out i always say go back and get your ged and i'll and i'll explain too deeper as to why but here's the numbers 45 percent of those who passed the GED enrolled in a college certificate or college degree program within three years. But here's more staggering. Of, here's an even greater number. 90% of GED passers persisted in college, meaning they signed up for another semester after completing the first. And that comes from, you know, Catherine Gerwitz of Education Week. And that was on a great day, February 21st, a.k.a. my birthday of last year. And that, to me, is very important. Because whatever circumstances happen in our life, you know, may cause us to drop out of high school. You know, life happens to us in different capacities. The world happens to us in different capacities. And I always, but I always stress to people you can always go back. You know, just like they say, you can go home again, you can go back again. And you can go back and get that education because. One of the things that my mother taught me, doing my grandfather, whom I never met, he always used to say that you one day you're gonna need a degree to dig a ditch. Now you might have guffawed and laughed at that 30 years ago, but now it's come to be true. You have to be able to measure. You have to be able to the depth, engineering. You have to be able to know how deep to dig, how wide to dig, and you have to have a degree to do it. A piece of paper is important. And like and listen, there are benefits to it. Look, it reduces your poverty. Listen, 420 million people would be lifted out of poverty with a secondary education, thus reducing the number of poor worldwide by more than half. That to me is important, just a secondary education. We're not talking collegiate, just a secondary education. So, if you just had a basic education, you, some people just want to see that piece of paper. And I'm going to really stress on that in a minute. I keep teasing it, but I promise you, I'll get there. And another thing is that it increases your income. Listen, one extra year of schooling increases the individual's earnings by up to 10%. And both of those stats come from the Global Partnership for Education. Listen, I always tell people, listen, your education, listen... I understand. You may not find school sexy and exciting. I did. I was the type of kid who hated to miss school. You can ask anybody who knows me. I wasn't the biggest, you know, fan of not being there. But to some people, school just is a big turnoff and a waste of time. And you know, I get it. But sometimes in life, I had a college professor teach me this sometimes you just have to have that piece of paper to prove what you already know and that's important sometimes you can tell people everything that you know but they want a piece of paper that a piece of paper excuse me that says I know this and that's a high school diploma or a GED I'm not trying to tell you hey go to college and you get no what I stress to people is listen go back to school whether it's going in that GED or you want to go back to because, listen, the, the paper matters. It matters. And you're going to hear thousands of excuses to say, oh, well, I'm not old enough. Or, you know, or I'm at a point where I'm just too busy. And what I always stress to that is, look, online education is becoming an upward trend with technology. Listen, I got my master's degree, my MBA online. Because sometimes you want to change a pace with being once again in that brick and mortar you know in that building. You want to be able to do it on your time your convenience and your pace. And a lot of schools are understanding that. It's not saying the school is kowtowing to you but they're kowtowing to your schedule. Because they want you to learn. They're not going to kowtow and change their curriculum. But they will kowtow to make it convenient for you, the student. That to me is uber important. So once again, listen, the function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. I always stress that: is that you don't have to be from Harvard; You can be from the school of hard knocks. But you have to come with this intense. You have to be critical. Because life is all about being intense sometimes, but more so being critical. And you just can't come up with people with opinions. You have to come up with them with, you know, educating yourself. Read everything. You know, my parents taught me to read everything. The back of a label, of a can, a box, something. Know what you're putting in your body. Know what you're wearing. But read everything. Because that's how you acquire, there's that word again, Knowledge. So, once again folks, if you go back to school, if you haven't, just get the piece of paper. Because at the end of the day, you do it for you. Don't do it because I'm telling you to do it. Do it because you gotta believe in yourself. Get that piece of paper. Even if it's that GED or high school diploma, say that I did because like I say, that will let people know, hey, I know what I'm talking about. I know. You don't have to have a college degree to know. Have that piece of paper, K-12. Get that piece of paper. And speaking of getting, well, we're going to get out of here with that segment and be right back. And we're going to talk about some unpopular opinions. Hopefully, it might be a recurring segment. And we're going to talk about a group all the way up north. That's next here on Sports and the World. And welcome back into Sports and the World. And if you're listening to us through Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocketcast, or Radio Public, I truly do appreciate it. And the social media for the podcast is at Sports the World on both Twitter and Instagram. And on Facebook, it's Sports and the World. Check out the page. Check out the content. Go to the about tab, hit the link, and, then, and listen to this episode and every episode here of sports, and the world. And also, a programming note, I will be going live after the podcast to reveal a new Marvel bracket, a 16 superhero Marvel bracket. I'll be revealing the matchups and the seedings. So, look forward to that. And now, let's dive in. I want to take, take us back to the 90s for a minute. I want to take us back to 1995. MJ returns to the NBA after he figured out he can't play baseball. OJ is found innocent. I know. Toy Story, Batman Forever, and GoldenEye are released. So was Braveheart. Won the best picture that year. Tom Hanks won Best Actor for Forrest Gump. Lion King won the Oscar for Best Score. Seinfeld, ER, and Friends were, the, were some of the top shows on television. Gangsta's Paradise was the number one song. The Macarena was The Dance. Pogs were the thing. True story, I did have them. And something else happened in 1995. Nickelback, was formed in Hannah, Alberta, Canada. Listen, 1995 was a great year. And, listen, I want to talk about Nickelback. Because, I think they get a very bad rap, first and foremost. And I understand and we'll talk about how a Finnish researcher delved into the core of why. But just some of my opinions of Nickelback. Listen, I, I like Nickelback. Listen, I didn't say love. I really like Nickelback. I'm more of a creed guy, but I really do like Nickelback. I think they get a bad rap. And I think this Finnish researcher kind of hit the nail on the head. So this Finnish researcher, Sally Adenen, Attempted to answer why all the mockery of Nickelback and its origin. In the study done by Adaman, it's called Hot Hypocritical BS Performed Through Rotted Teeth, etc. etc. It reached the conclusion that the biggest source is they follow genre expectations too well. Which is seen as empty imitation. And that comes from Digital Music News as well. So here's the thing. Nickelback started out as a cover band playing Green Day songs. So I'm not saying they sound like Green Day. That's not the crux of my defense here. But what I will say is that if we're punishing them. Because they follow genre expectations too well. What would we say if they didn't? Because I feel this is kind of also happened in the nineties, and we and I may do an unpopular opinion segment on this. It's kind of like where we had Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Mandy Moore. You had all that young talent, but yet listen, Mandy Moore is a great actress now on this is on the NBC show This Is Us but we kind of didn't put her in that class of Britney and Christina not because she couldn't sing but i think for the same reason because she just followed the expectations related to the genre all too perfect and and is it fair? No. Because here's the thing. Listen, this group, listen, there's a police officer that that played Nickelback music as punishment. They were booed at the Pro Bowl. Okay, could play one song. Listen, and it's not a fair rap. So, here's the thing about Nickelback, and I got a little help from my good friend, Deadpool, hint, hint, he's in the Marvel Tournament. Listen, since they debuted in 95, they sold probably over 50 million albums by now they're the 11th best musical act of all time. The 11th best. They're Billboard's most successful rock group of the 2000s. Once again, Digital Music News and Deadpool for the source there. I think the problem becomes is is that I don't necessarily think that they follow genre expectations too well. I just think that when when you're so many groups. When you you have when you think of Green, like I mentioned earlier, Green Day, and then you throw in Nickelback, you got Creed. You know Creed kind of you know I could argue could have the same argument that we talk about Nickelback, but we don't necessarily bash Creed as hard as we do Nickelback, and I think it's because we feel that we hear Nickelback are like ah oh god they sound. Well, listen, everybody can't sound different. Folks, it's just like, oh, well, it's just like when people talk about sports. It's where we always try to compare the next Michael Jordan. Maybe we said it about Grant Hill. We said it about, oh, my goodness, Iverson. We said about literally every player that was drafted after Jordan that had a, so much talent potential. And listen, could I not argue that that's an empty imitation? Everyone was, listen, Kobe he followed Jordan's career too well, just short of a championship. I mean that's why I tell people, listen it's the same argument is that when you see Kobe, I see Jordan. So it's just like when I hear Green Day, yeah you do hear a little bit of Nickelback Why should juxtapose that? When I do hear Nickelback, yeah, I do hear a little Green Day. Not like super deep. But like when I see Kobe, I see Michael. So my simple point is, we gotta be fair about this. I'm not saying crank up Nickelback. I'm not saying do any of that. What I'm simply saying is, is that, sure, it's very popular to hate Nickelback simply because they are cheesy and they're yeah I get all that but when you listen to today's music look what are you getting what are you getting from a value perspective to your ears you know everyone's trying to be different no one tries to fit the genre listen Breaking the mold can be done by few. Crossing over is few. It's kind of like when Taylor Swift crossed country and kind of went to pop. Shania Twain, you could argue, kind of did it first. But it's not like, you know, like Randy Travis, the great country singer. Instead of trying to curve in the direction of trying to go into that pop genre, he made the standard country music great again. He made it. He just popularized and made it better. That's kind of like... I'm not saying Nickelback and Randy Travis... But the point is that, that... Sometimes... Following the genre expectations... Keep you around longer because we're still talking about them. When you hear certain musicians... Like One Hit Wonder... You don't hear them again... Because... That's what you get. Because they try to be different. They don't try to fit in the genre. Because like I say... There's a reason why so many people have walked on the moon, and everybody can do it. It's why so many people, you know, swim the English Channel. It's why so many people are Olympic athletes. Not, it's not meant for everybody to be extraordinary. That doesn't mean ordinary is bad. But sometimes it's extraordinary. You can live a, you can live a, an ordinary, you can be an ordinary person with an extraordinary life. And Nickelback, to me, is an ordinary group with extraordinary talent. So probably next week, I'll probably do another group. I'll talk about it when I go live. Any suggestions for unpopular opinions? But a popular opinion when we come back, or unpopular, I'm going to give you my top five major league baseball managers in my MLB report. And that's next, You're on Sports and the World. And welcome back into sports and the world. And social media one more time. It's at sports the world on both Twitter and Instagram. And on Facebook, it's sports and the world with the ampersand for the word and. Check out the content there. Go to the about tab and listen to this episode and many more on the page. So my MLB report. I want to talk about managers. And when you think about managers, you can't think about them in the same way as you do a head football coach in the NFL or college, or you can't think of them in the same capacity as a basketball coach. And I think you can apply the NFL when I talk about the LFL as well. Head coaches of any football level, you can't compare to, to baseball managers. Because A, the games are longer. So, they're going to have ebbs and flows. In the NFL, if you have a really big ebb or a really, you know, or if you're ebbing and flowing, then, you know, it might be too late to right the ship in some cases or shipping in the right direction. But for for baseball managers, it's a 162-game season. In this season, you know, I want to recognize five managers. And for the record, these aren't the the manager of the five best teams in baseball, and I'll and I'll put some edification on that when I get there. But I want to jump right in. Number five, I got Bruce Bochy. Listen, he has the most wins amongst active managers as of this episode. You know, 1,989 wins. More than likely, he'll get his 2,000th win. And listen, he's a Hall of Fame manager because. Literally every manager ahead of him is a Hall of Famer, from Bobby Cox, Tony La Russa, Joe Torre, Walter Alston, Connie Mack. He's a Hall of Fame manager, and listen, he has three World Series, and he's six. You might want to say sixty-two percent of the postseason. When it comes to experience, Bruce Bochy is, is has loads of it. And just a little personal thing that listen, he attended Eastern Florida College in Cocoa, Florida, three, two, one, where I'm from—not from Cocoa, but from. For those listening, you, you get it. So you know, as long as you have a good shout out to a to a three, two, one guy, and Bruce Bochy. So he's number five. Number four, I have Terry Francona, the Cleveland Indians. Look, he's had no losing seasons in in Cleveland. He's six nineteen and four seventy nine. He's won 54% of his games. Look, he's a two-time Manager of the Year. And listen, Corey Kluber, Danny Salazar are still on the DL. They traded away Trevor Bauer, but I, like I said, during the trade deadline, you know, they were more than likely move Trevor Bauer. Just like in the same way I said that the the Giants weren't going to trade Madison Bumgarner. And guess what? They're three and a half games back in the AL Central. And they're right there in the wild card race. That's a testament to Terry Francona. And Terry Francona, when you think of him at Boston, winning a World Series, winning two World Series there. Listen, he knows how to manage ego. He knows how to win in big cities and we're going to talk about that you know when we get to number 2 and number 1 manager on this list because that to me is a very huge factor that's the thing that all coaches and managers share is sometimes you have to manage egos to me to me Phil Jackson was equally a great coach and equally a great manager of egos think about it you have MJ Scotty Rodman Kobe Shaq and for the other you had Kobe Shaq Peyton and Malone. He knows how to manage ego. And I tell people that's a huge part of coaching is that actually, know you can be a genius and super smart, but how do you handle personalities? Terry Francona has done it. You know, he's done it for a year, for decades. He managed in Philly, he managed in Boston, now he's at Cleveland. He understands to win in those markets. Like, if you think about Philly, you know, kind of a mixed bag. Boston, he was successful, and Cleveland, he's successful. And I think this year is is that listen, when they trade away Trevor Bauer, they got back Yasiel Puig, and they're three and a half games back because they do believe when Kluber and Saladare come back, and you know, more than likely September, they'll be ready for October, and th- and that penultimately is the good game plan of Cleveland and they have the right manager for it. So Francona is at four. And number three, may shock some people, and it's Craig Council. Once again, like I said at the top, I'm not saying, you know, I'm basing it all on, you know, win-loss record. I'm basing it on this year. On what I've seen up to this point. Like this list, I may do another list at the end, you know, closer to the end of the season. But Craig Council, listen, he's overseeing the rise of Christian knowledge. There's a lot of talent on this Brewers roster. And what I always say is, is that, look, it's that if you're, you know, to see Christian Yellens rise, I give Craig counsel for that because when he was in Miami, he, we knew he was good, but he was not MVP good. And now he comes to Milwaukee and it's working. Also, listen, he may be the best mayor in the NL Central. As Kluge guy who's on my honorable mention list, My guy, Joe Madden in in Chicago, to me, yeah, Chicago may be up on the standings as opposed to Milwaukee. But Milwaukee, to me, and this is what puts Craig Council number three. Listen, he knows how to use pitchers. Listen, that may be a knock when we get to the postseason because pitching is definitely gonna matter. Matchups are gonna matter. It matters during the regular season, but when you're having to potentially face a Cody Bellinger, or, you know, you have to face that Dodgers lineup. So matchups matter. You know, so even with oh, all the Braves or anything. So matchups matter. Pitching matters. That's why he's on there. That may be the downside, I think, with Craig Council. You don't want to burn up too many of your pitchers now because you're going to need them for October. And so Craig Council is number two. And, num- you know, excuse me, is number three. Number two, I got Alex Core of the Red Sox. Look. When you go 108 and 54 in the regular season, 11 three in the postseason, yeah, I give that credit because he had more and did more with it. He could have easily settled and and been like, "Okay, we got these wins, we're good." Because listen, Boston got rid of guys who won 90 games, like John Farrell, got rid of Terry Francona, 90 win managers. As comes goes 108 and 54, 11 and three in the postseason. So, one of the things that I say is, is that, listen, big city, big pressure. Now, I'm not sitting here and going to say that, well, Boston is right now. Listen, they're fighting for the wild card. Because, listen, nobody expected the rise of the rage. Kevin Cash, who's on honorable mentioned manager, nobody saw that coming. But with Alex Corr, here's the thing. Pressure field expectations has exceeded them. And he's winning more with more. Like, folks, when you have talent, you're supposed to win with it. That's what exactly what Alex Cora has done. And that's why he's number two. And number one, you may say big shock, big, you know, surprise, is Aaron Boone. Listen, if I were to tell you that he did not have Severino, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Hicks, Jacoby Ellsbury, Edwin across the say and at some point during the season, listen, he didn't have Aaron Judge. If I were to told, tell you that, listen, he's gained production from Gio Ursula, Gliber Torres, Mike Talkman, DJ Laney. If I were telling you that, and if I was telling you that they were so injured in the beginning of the season, and like I said it then, and I'll say it now, when the Yankees are healthy, even when the Astros went out and got themselves another ace in Zach Greinke, the Yankees are the best team in baseball. Because what I've always said is this. A great offense can always be the great defense. If you're average one and greater than another, I'll take what you're great at. Okay, we've seen great in the NFL, great defenses have won championships. The 85 Bears. Those early 2000 Ravens teams, great defense could sometimes supersede offense. Because if your offense is terrible, you know, or average, just be average, you can win. This Yankees offense, listen, the pitching may not be great. And I didn't like the fact they didn't go out and get another ace If you've seen what the Blue Jays got back from the Mets for Marcus Strowman, okay, the Yankees, even though their form system isn't great, the Yankees could have got Marcus Strowman. But, look, to me, they're still the World Series favorite. Look, I'm not swayed by, listen, I like the move the A.J. Hinch, honorable mention manager. I like what that team has done. But Aaron Boone, and people don't think, oh, what's the Yankees? Listen, he's in the, he has the most precious job in baseball. He is probably one of the more top 10 jobs in sports. Being the manager of the New York Yankees, the same dugout well, not literally the same. Doug, you get the euphemism, folks. That Joe Torre. You think of Joe McCarthy. You think of you think of all these great managers. You think of Casey Stengel. I'm not saying he's going to be that type of manager, but that's pressure. You walk in and you see championships, and that's the expectation. Aaron Boone. The minute you, if you hear if you heard him broadcasting. It's kind of like you hear Tony Romo when he does the NFL. The same way you heard Aaron Boone talk about baseball with ESPN, it's the same vibe I picked up when I hear Tony Romo talk about football. That's a manager. That's a coach. Aaron Boone took this job. And listen, if I were to tell you at some point he didn't have his best hitters in Giancarlo and Aaron Judge to start the season, and then he didn't have Severino, he didn't have Aaron Hicks, Jacoby Ellsbury won't be back to probably next season. Say, oh, these dudes will be back, but up to this point, this is what he's had to deal. With. You know, he's got Ursula, Gliber Torres, Mike talkman DJ Lemayu, throwing Gary Sanchez. Listen, folks, you may not like it, but listen—that's why I think they're the best team in baseball. You know, like I said, I like the dog, I like Dave Roberts, but Dave Roberts didn't make this list because I think about last season. I think about he had all that talent and got smoked. He got smoked in the dugout by a dude he had no business being smoked by, Alex Corp. He got outsmarted. He got outsmarted, folks. That's the reality. Dave Roberts is a, is a heck of a manager, but he got outsmarted. And Aaron Boone, you get this team in the post, they get healthy. That, to me, in a seven game series, I believe and look, I do, but listen, Justin Verlander, I like him, but he's shown some, Listen, at some point, offense can cannot be pitching at some point. Because then you're expecting the Astros offense has to step up. And I think when the pitching gets healthy for the Yankees, I think it becomes more interesting. So once again, my top five managers are Bruce Bochy at number five, Terry Francona at four, Craig Council at three, Alex Cora at two, and Aaron Boone at one. Once again, I may revisit this list again, change it, Jeff it. That's my top five major league managers. And coming up, It's going to be my big picture and maybe drop some knowledge. And that's next here on Sports and the World. And welcome back into the final segment here of Sports and the World. And if you've been listening so far in this episode, I truly do appreciate it social media one more time is at sports the world on both twitter and instagram and the facebook page is sports and the world to listen to this episode and many more we're we'll going to the about tab as well as to check out the content as well now i want to get into the big picture and and i talked about at the very top of this episode and i talked about education how you know, we always saw education as a brick and mortar. We saw it as four walls. We saw books. We saw a teacher, students, a chalkboard, a whiteboard. That's how we perceive how education is. Now with the advent of technology, now you can do it literally online. And you can learn and get your degree. You can learn and acquire knowledge online and this is what I stress to people and and this quote by Socrates kind of alludes to my point see there is only one good knowledge and one evil ignorance see when you're googling certain things it's because you don't know sometimes we Google things we don't know and sometimes you Google things like why is the sky blue or why is water not wet? Or why is it wet? Is it wet? Whatever the question or the concept is, Google has an answer. And that's how we acquire knowledge. And then you have those who acquire ignorance. Meaning that they look up idiotic and superfluous things that does not only do them any good, and does that society any good, it's just not a good concept and this is an example oh, excuse me when I think about the media the media is an example of where there's knowledge and there's ignorance and, the, and to me it falls on both spectrums it doesn't fall to just MSNBC or just doesn't fall to Fox News depending on what side of the spectrum you, are, you see the other side as ignorance and your side as the, of the knowledge of this is where you should listen and this is where you should rely upon and and like i say with both listen whoever views it the viewership that's their perception of acquiring knowledge about politics and the world at large but the importance of knowledge first and foremost i believe is survival, meaning that you're we're living in a world that is coming in faster and faster, and sometimes sitting in the classroom, the brick and mortar, in the books, or even through online education. Like I said, I don't knock it because I meant listen. You know, I got my degree through there. A lot of people have got their degrees online, but survival knowledge teaches you to survive surviving means that you're not in the woods how do you survive if you're lost in the woods nothing like that but you know in a way that is applicable but the point I'm trying to conjecture is that how do you survive day to day that's knowledge because you're going on what you know and the thing is and this is the difference See, knowledge, it's about expertise and skill acquired through your, excuse me, through your experiences. And based on your experience, that's how you survive. It's why you feel some, it's why some people are better at balancing a budget than others Because of experience. Some people as young as 18, even younger than that, had to learn to balance a budget, balance a checkbook. And that's something that was knowledge. They acquired it through, for example, through the brick and mortar, through online. But with the advent of technology, you can also Google that stuff too. And surviving, paying bills, you know, what to eat, where to eat, how to get to here, survival. That's knowledge and that's based on your experiences. And sometimes you can acquire experiences through school, but sometimes life is a huge, huge teacher. Life is the only teacher that you never really have to owe. Because life will pay you back one way or the other. And the thing is, it gives you a chance to understand yourself. Because see, when you're surviving, you understand yourself, oneself. Because sometimes we don't know who we really are at our core until we experience and we go through things. And this is why I say the difference comes between knowledge and understanding, which I'll get to in a minute. It is that when we understand something, excuse me, it's basically an awareness of the connection between pieces of information at a deeper level than knowing. This is essential to put knowledge to good use. See, our understanding. Because in essence, understanding is in the mind. It's both are mental concepts. But knowledge at its core, at its very core, it's all about the mind. And understanding is the brain, It's awareness. It's kind of like instinct. It's where you understand something immediately. If I'm having a conversation, and we're talking about something, you immediately understand it. And, and knowledge is understanding in that respect where that's how you acquire things through understanding. Because sometimes, some people can be very, very knowledgeable, but don't understand. Like for example, someone who has a degree in ophthalmology or a degree in archaeology may not be able to understand simple concepts because simply put they don't know anything about it because they've always been in the books they've always, not saying that they can't function as people but when someone says well I understand what they're telling you is that listen I'm listening because of the knowledge that I acquire. It's when I say if someone passes away and they say, well, you know, I understand how you feel when they are telling you that they're basically telling you that, Hey, it's a deeper level. It's it's very deep. It's emotional. It kind of attacks the ethos within us. So it becomes more of the brain now we're triggering emotion where knowledge is just straight up the mind. It's just the mind itself and the acquisition of being, being fed to us. And understanding oneself is a concept of us trying to just take everything in. And not only that, on both the mental and emotional level, that's the importance of knowledge is that you have to understand. Because if I tell you a concept or something's discussed in a classroom or online or whatever. And if you don't understand, that means you really didn't learn it. That means that you didn't acquire that knowledge. You just acquired for the sake of acquiring it and not going to utilize it. And also it's, and I talked about it earlier, thinking critically and thinking for oneself. Kind of the same concept is where you're allowed to think on your own when you have knowledge and you have that understanding, because the only thing that separates knowledge from understanding oh excuse me is that knowledge is something you accumulate through learning and see understanding is something you know because you've lived through it experience so when you hear politicians try to connect like I understand what you're saying they're trying to attack that ethos they're trying to attack the hey I've been where you're at when some of them haven't But it's great talk and it's great rhetoric because it gets people in and it gets people engaged. So I stress that as the importance and also it allows you to learn complex things faster like math and science. Listen, growing up in math, you know, growing up in, you know, I would say from elementary all the way through high school. Listen, I passed math and science. But I did it, you know, because the knowledge. But really, over my head, when I got to college, I understood it. And that's not a knock on the great math and science that I had, but I understood it. When I got in the classroom the first day of college, and I walked in the door and everything came literally gushing out. All the concepts, all the ideas. I'm you know, like a like a filing cabinet, it all came out. And now I'm probably better at math now than I probably was 10, 15 years ago. And I tell people, you know, that knowledge, it stuck with you, but I wasn't able to understand it until I was had till I got older. So it allows us to learn things faster. Knowledge puts everything up here, and then when you understand it, boom, it all comes flooding out. And the thing is, it's the avoidance of ignorance. Because when you say stupid things, and I don't like to, to say stupid, but and once again, when you hear people talk, you hear people, you know, the, grammatically, it's like, really? You're just saying it just to say it without proof. This is why I always stress when I do this podcast, I do research if things that I don't know, because that I can acquire a better understanding. Because I come and talk about the things that I know, the knowledge. And then I you know and then with research, it's things that I don't understand that comes through. And that's important. Because once again, here's the thing. knowledge is what you do to learning. Brick and mortar online, understanding is what you've lived through. It's why I always, and that's what and it goes back to education, it's why I always stress to people, no matter how old you are, go back to school because you have these younger kids going into school. Whether it's online or through the brick and mortar, they don't quite have the understanding. They could be super book smart, but don't understand nothing. And that's where I say you live long enough. Because here's the simple facts. Understanding takes a little bit longer to acquire the knowledge. Because understanding is an ongoing process. So is knowledge. But knowledge is something that you sit down the book, you read it, boom, it's there, you move on. But with understanding, understanding experiences, the same experiences that I have, I'm 31. I can't expect someone at age 21 to have the same understanding that I do about life, about about, you know, whether it's fiscal responsibility or about, you know, politics or anything of that nature. Some do, but I can't come in with that expectation because that's experiences. If you experience certain forms warm- of You know, racism, whether, you know, certain forms of hate, certain forms of ostracization. That's experiences. Somebody who is 60 years old, you can never get their understanding because you didn't experience it. You can only read about it through knowledge and to acquire knowledge and know about it. So, once again, when I Words are important, and I, and I said this in the podcast words matter. When you tell people I understand, make sure that you've experienced what you to understand, or just say something to the effect of, you know, I'm listening and I want to know. Because that's the importance, because you look very ignorant when you say you understand and you don't. So, once again, when you acquire that knowledge through learning and it can f- formulate to understanding but once again listen understand this understanding is all about awareness and knowledge is about expertise and skill that's why you have people knowledge about sports and medicine architecture anything And but understanding it is a whole different thing and understanding takes longer because it's more abstract for some and not just for some of you but for all of you right of time for this episode of sports and the world once again I truly do appreciate taking time out of your day and listening and you'll hear me on Tuesday and until we meet again enjoy your company here next time here on sports and the world